I want you to all take hold of your Bibles, okay, and put up your hand if you're committed to truth-telling. Really? No, put up your hand if you're committed to truth-telling. You're not sure, Jack? You don't tell the you lie? Why are you guys not... Are you not understanding my question? I'm just asking a question. Yeah, that's a trick. Put up your hand if you're committed to truth-telling. Yeah. What's the question? Okay, so put up your hand if you did not give me this. Put up your hand if you did not give me this. Jack, I knew it was you. I knew I would find out. Now, oh, it has a tag on it. I didn't even notice that. I'm going to check it out here. Thinking, why is there tape on it? Is it like half eaten? Yeah, no. Oh, it just says Aaron. Okay. I know who put this together now. Apology. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry for, I want to publicly apologize for a false accusation levied right. against I'll lovely minutes. <laughs> Please get back to me soon. They'll keep me up. They'll keep me up at night. All right. Okay, so I want to spend a bit of time in the Psalms, talking about the Psalms. Again, how many Psalms are there? How many chapters are in the Psalms? Zero. 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 There's no chapters in the Psalms. Okay. Why do we not say Psalm chapter 139, Psalm chapter 50? Why do we just say Psalm 50, Psalm 139? Pardon me? Yeah, they're all individual. So the, well, the reason why we have chapters in Isaiah is because it's one big book, and we're just dividing it up so we can find our way around. So I'm in Isaiah 53. That's a chapter of one book. But the Psalms are all independent songs, so they're not chapters. So just kind of correct yourself if you happen to say Psalm chapter 139. It's, no, it's just Psalm 139. Two things, little pet peeves, people that say chapters before Psalms, and people that say the book of Revelations. <laughs> it's Revelation, okay? <laughs> now you're going to be looking for it? <laughs> now I'll probably start doing it or something, so... Well, then we get another problem in our hands. <laughs> Interpreting the Psalms. So the, the Psalms are unique. I'm going to give you a statement. I, I want to make sure it's properly understood. That, so, so as not to diminish in any way the authority of all of Scripture. So all of Scripture is given by God, by inspiration of God. It's inspired by God. It's profitable. But... If you think of the direction, the conversational direction of the Bible, for the most part, the other 65 books come across as God speaking to us, for the most part. There's sections within them, 
or someone is crying out to God. But for the most part, you're reading Genesis or, again, Hosea or Revelation, and it's God speaking to us. But the direction of the Psalms are different. The Psalms are all helping us to figure out how to speak to God. So it's, it's humanities, praise, confessions, thanksgivings, laments to God. Why is that helpful when we're trying to use the Bible for our own spiritual development? Well, we read a lot of the Bible that helps us to understand what God's expectations are of us and his plan for salvation and who his character is and what his future is. And so we're reading the Bible all the time. We're getting that. But every once in a while, you're like, I, I just I feel like I need to talk to God. And I'm not totally sure how to do that. I'm just so geeked about what God has done in my life. How do I properly communicate to God? Or I... I such a twit. I keep sinning. I need to confess to the Lord. How do I do that? Where do I go to that provides me a model for a confession? Or my life seems to be unraveling. Everyone's attacking me. It's attacking me. I feel like David being chased around by Saul. I, I'm in a, a, a state of lamentation. How do I cry out to God? Like, What am I allowed to do? What's, what's fair game? What's not fair game when I'm in a place of lament. I go to the Psalms. So what's awesome about the Psalms is, yeah, they're inspired by God, but what they are is they're, they're, they are the expired, express, inspired expressions of mankind to God, and they're presented in a very real way. They're, they're, they were sung by the people of God in worship or on their way to Zion, they are expressions of joy and awe to the Lord. So here are some of the benefits. I wrote down three. Number one, if you use the word worship in a broad sense, they're a guide to worship. They're a guide to worship in all of the forms of worship. Praise, prayer, again, confession. Everything we do on a Sunday morning or in our private lives, the Psalms help us. They also provide very honest examples of how to address God. A lot of people are afraid to address God. What am I, what am I allowed to say? You ever met a new believer and they're like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray like you guys. What do you mean like us? Oh, you seem to be so fluid. Well, who said fluidity is the name of the game here? Truth, honesty is. Fluidity is not the litmus test for being awesome in my relationship with God. Of course, some people are going to be more fluid and other people are going to be less. What's that got to do with your spirituality? Nothing. Read the Bible. Luke's a lot more fluid than Mark. So even the, the writers vary in their human skill with the language they're writing in which is kind of weird being that it's all inspired by God, but God doesn't violate their writing style. He doesn't violate their personalities. And the Psalms are different in their style, but they're all honest. And third, they demonstrate the lost arts of personal reflection and meditation. They demonstrate the lost arts, for many, of personal reflection 
and meditation. Now, I don't want to assume that that's true of you, but if you grew up in a, a church that's heavy into truth, like I did, then the barometer for your spirituality is how fast you are at a sword drill. Hmm. And if you grew up in a truth church, you'll know what that is. If you didn't, you don't know what that even is. Uh, how, how many Bible studies, how many verses you memorized, you know, how, how many charts you can draw out about the end times, those kinds of things, right? <laughs> but, and, and that's important. Like, I'm a truth guy. I think content's great. But I need to kind of take some time to meditate on it, to chew on it, to reflect on it, to do some soul searching. And the Psalms are just really good at helping us to do that and just to slow down and cry out to the Lord. Multiple authors. It, Moses wrote some, David wrote some, Solomon wrote some, Asaph wrote some, the sons of Korah. I don't know their names, but I know who their dad was. <laughs> sons of Korah. My favorite, He-Man. <laughs> or Haman, I don't know. It's H-E-M-A-N. Ethan, and then Unknown. So some kings, a couple kings, some uh, officials, a prophet, leader of Israel, and some worship leaders wrote the Psalms. The composition of the Psalms, we call it the Psalter. Each Psalm stands alone. We already mentioned that. It all, each Psalm, you can just read one Psalm. It, it has a beginning and an end, and it all it stands on its own two feet. There's no chapters. They were written by multiple authors over 1,000 years. So if you were into uh, studying Greek or studying Hebrew, of course, Hebrew language changes over 1,000 years. So depending on older ones like Moses, David, much later, Solomon, even later than that, you're going to be looking at different styles of Hebrew over different circumstances over time. They were collected over time, and they're put together in five units. So when you're reading the Psalms, you'll often see, oh, it says book one, book two, book three, book four, book five, half you know, portions of the way through. Those were put together into five units after the exile. That's when it was compiled. So well before Jesus. But David wasn't running around with a giant book of Psalms. It was compiled later on. Several smaller groups are contained within the five sections. So the Davidic group is mostly chapters, or sorry, Psalms 3 through 41. Now, when you look at the Psalms, just go to, go to the first one. See, now I'm going to start saying chapter, chapter. <laughs> go to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. The way my Old Testament professor used to help us to see this is he said picture the psalms like a big house of worship and there's two big pillars out front on either side of the door they're kind of like inviting you channeling you through the pillars into this house of worship he said psalm one and psalm two are like the pillars that are inviting you in to the psalter they're very like foundational so we have the first one Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And many of you have memorized that one. And then Psalm 2, 
is why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth. So they're, they're, they're like invitational. There's an invitation to blessings, an invitation to join in the exclusive worship of the true and living God. And then from 3 through 41, 3 through 41, go to 41. These are Psalms of David. And then you'll see at the beginning of 42, see it says book two. See that? <coughs> you never notice that? Okay. So book two is um, from the sons of Korah. And then if you just kind of flip ahead. So 42, nothing from David. 43, nothing from David. 44, nothing from David. 45, nothing from David. 46, 47, 48. Nothing from David, 49, nothing from David, and um, 50, nothing from David. So instead you have Korah and one from Asaph, it's kind of a, a grouped. But then 51, you're back to David, why? In the arrangement of the Psalms, you got Psalm 51 through Psalm 65 that are again attributed to David. But 51, one of the most well-known Psalms, is David's, look at the heading, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Do you know the story? He had an affair. He committed adultery. He had sex with a woman that wasn't his wife. Got her pregnant killed her husband, blah, 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 blah. Pretty heinous. So, the arrangement of the Psalms speak, this is fascinating, of broken fellowship with God when there's unconfessed sin in your life. Because we're hearing from David, 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 David. Then David sins, and there's silence. Someone else steps up. Someone else's the spiritual voice for the people. Someone else gets to talk with God. Someone else is enjoying this dynamic interaction with God. And then David, Psalm 51, repents. And then you have multiple Psalms of David which speak to his, rest, his restoration. Now what I'm not saying is that those are written in that order. And I'm not saying that Psalms... 42 to 49 were literally written while he was unrepentant. But what I am saying is the organization of the Psalms are deliberate to underscore that fact. The arrangement of them spoke that truth to the people of Israel. That if you want fellowship with God, you cannot live, you cannot live with unconfessed sin. We all sin, okay, hands down. But there's a big difference between someone that sins and confesses it and then deals with the potential consequences and someone that sins and doesn't confess it. So now we have a psalm of repentance. And what's also super awesome is God restores a guy that committed arguably two of the worst sins you could commit to fellowship with himself to the point that he used him to continue to write holy scripture 
And then we have the ASAF group, 73 to 83, another group from Korah. You don't need to know all these, but 84 to 88. And then go to Psalm 95. No author, no author, no author. You, just kind of, you can just kind of flip ahead, no author. 95 to 100 have no stated author, but every one of them is congregational praise music. So they're all designed to demonstrate not an individual's expressions to God, which you can learn from and benefit from and write, write songs out of, but they are all congregational songs. And then 111, uh, sorry, 101, I think I missed like 10 there. Uh, yeah, oh, no, Psalm, Psalm 101 is of David. And then uh, I wrote down 111, so I, I don't want to just say something to fill in the blanks. But 111 to 117, and maybe the ones before that, are the Hallelujah Group, what are called the Hallelujah Group. So they very much are like praise, 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 or Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah type. They're, they're very... Well, I'll just use the word. They're very praise-oriented. They're the praise music of the Psalter. Then 120 to 134. So 119 uses the the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, I'm just thinking here, I'm pretty sure this is true. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is true. So under Aleph, so Aleph is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So all those verses begin with Aleph in Hebrew. And then Beit, or some people say Beth, but Beit, all those verses start with the equivalent of a B, a Beit. And then Gimel, all those start with Gimel, Dalit, Hey, Wow, Zion, and so forth. So it's kind of cool. They're like, it's like a, kind of an acrostic. There's some, some work that's been done there to, um, I'm not sure what you would call that in modern poetry. I'm by no means an expert on that, but you might pick all A's, all B's, all C's, all D's to start a stanza or something like that in a poem. Now, uh, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, what does it say at the top of those? Songs of ascents. What does it mean to ascend? To go up. So what are the Psalms of ascent? Right. Why would they call them songs of ascent? Why wouldn't they say songs of going toward? Right. Holy mountain. It was up. So when the people were called together to go to the temple, which was located in Jerusalem, they would join together and they would sing as they're going up the holy hill toward Jerusalem. So these were specifically designed kind of like as gatherings, sort of come together, quasi-testimonial psalms. So when um, 
they have different dimensions. They can, this one, just 120 here, this is what I have open. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. So you, you could almost picture all these people, and they're coming out of their shepherding and their tool-making trades, and as they're going up, someone shouts out, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and whatever the cadence would have been. And he answered me, and someone else starts up, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue, and someone else. And there's this collective gathering together as they take their mind off of what they've been doing, and they prepare themselves to encounter God in the express manifestation of his holiness in Jerusalem. So those are Psalms of Ascent. And those go right through to 134. So there's quite a few of them. Notice the arrangement. Maybe you never noticed this before, but they're arranged in sections. And then we have a third Davidic group, 138 through 145. More Psalms from David. He was obviously quite a writer. He wrote a lot of them. And he wrote different kinds. So... In 142, it says a mascal of David. So this would be whatever that means. I don't know. But it would be a different style of psalm when he was in the cave. So that would have been when, probably when he was in the cave hiding from Saul. And then 146 to 150, which are kind of short for the most part, a little shorter. Those, that's the second congregational praise group. Praise, so 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Those are more vertical. We would say vertical in that there's less about us being delivered and us being rescued and us confessing. And you're just kind of attributing praise to the Lord. So some of the Psalms are like, hey, I, I'm feeling, I'm experiencing, I've done this and I, I'm telling you. Others of them are, I'm feeling, experiencing this. I'm just crying out to or praising God. Uh, others of them are just attributing worth to God and his attributes and his characteristics. So there's different dimensions to the Psalms. And this is the same if you, if you pay attention, if you actually listen to modern Christian music that's well-written, there's dimensions to that too. Some of them are more like Psalms of Ascent, where we're kind of testifying to one another. Some of them are more so, what we call so, songs of pure ascription, where we're just ascribing worth and value to God. And we, we just find that we're not like legalistic about it, but I'm pointing to Rich because he's a worship leader. We, we like to start out our services more on the call, move to the testimonial, and then get to the pure ascription stuff or the word of God is preached. There's a, there's a rather than, uh, or rather than picking Psalm songs to sing based upon themes. Oh, it's preaching on faith. We're going to pick a bunch of songs with faith in it. We don't do that. Uh, we, we tend to follow this idea, this, this pattern. It's not a rule, but it's a pattern of you're disoriented because you just came out of a hard week and we want to orient you to a place where you're really, engage with God. So this is the, the thing I say, and I'm not, I'm not being like legalistic about this. And I'm like looking around and judging people, but it, it's kind of like, it's not, it shouldn't be like super surprising if early in the service, someone's like, mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. 
getting their kid ready. But that's kind of weird if they're still doing that when we're into a song of pure ascription. It means you're not tracking or you're, you're just boogie into the tune or something, but you're not engaged with the content. But if you're engaged with the content, and especially if you're conscious of this now that I've said it, you're going to notice that those songs that come before the sermon are almost always psalms, songs of pure ascription to God. And then after the sermon is some sort of a response or declaration type of a song, right? So we're just drawing this from the patterns of the psalms. The titles, see how in the psalms all like little titles? So it says, um, I'm not talking about the, the identification of the writer, but sing to the Lord a new song, Psalm 149. Those were added later. So those aren't, those are just like titles that give you a tip to what the content is, but those weren't included by the inspired writer. So don't, don't make too much of those if they don't fully capture the content of the psalm. They're just pointers, little notations for you to help you along. The psalms, of course, are poetic. So I want to talk about a few... We're running out of time. We're going to move quick here. Psalms as poetry. So parallelism. When you're reading the Psalms, don't be surprised to find many occasions where the second line has a relationship to the first line. In many ways, it could be synonymous. So the first line, chapter one, verse, or Psalm 1, verse 5, Psalm 2, verse 4, the first line is saying the same thing as the second line by using different words, just like in some of the Proverbs. That's synonymous. Or antithetical, where the second line is the opposite to the first. I just I want to give you some examples of this, but I don't want to belabor it. I'll just give you one example. Psalm 90, verse 6. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. That's an antithesis. It's two different things. Emblematic, the second line states in a simile or a metaphor the thought of the first line. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants, or so pants my soul for you, O God. So it's, it's, um, thinking about a deer being thirsty and going down to the water and then we switch and I'm thinking about my thirst and hunger on a soul level for God. So the first line draws my attention and the deer becomes emblematic of my heart longing for God. You could write down 103.13 and 1.4 for other examples. Climactic. The first line is taken by the second and added to it. Sometimes the second line is taken by the third and added to it. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. So the first line 
ascribe something to God. Second line fills in what we're supposed to ascribe. Third line, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. So notice there's like a, we're moving, we're reading downward, but there's a stepping upward. There's a, there's a, a it's taking you to a, a, a climax. 124. Verses 1 to 5. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord that was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, when the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us and over us would have gone the raging water. So that's kind of neat because it's, uh, there's a statement, then Israel says it. Statement of verse one, Israel's invited to say at the end of verse one, they say it in verse two, and then there's this kind of climactic moving upward as they're describing this water that would have swept over them if it hadn't been forgotten. So there's a movement upward. Psalm 25, this next one is called synthetic. 
praise, or this is where we get the word hymn. If you have a hymn book, that means a praise book. Remembrance and thanksgiving. And wisdom. Give us some examples here. 120 to 134. I've already described this. They're the Psalms that were sang when they were ascending to Jerusalem. Confidence, the dominant idea is trusting God. The author expresses his complete confidence in God's, vocab- uh, God's promises. So the vocabulary in these Psalms will include things like refuge, rock, light, fortress, very commonplace. 11, 16, 27, etc. are examples. Enthronement, which majestically proclaims the kingship of God. And it often also rejoices over a righteous human king that rightly reflects the virtues of God in a theocracy. They're serving God well. So two, 20, 21, there's others. A lament psalm basically is an emotional cry to God during distress, not self-induced distress necessarily, but because of persecution or attack. And the psalmist in the lament psalm is usually, this is going to rattle your theological cage, is frustrated with God or himself or others. But sometimes God. And he's confused and he's disoriented and he's kind of mad at God. But God receives it. And as he cries out to God, one of the patterns we see in the Psalms and in Job, if you're writing right now and you can't hear and write at the same time, stop writing because this is super important for your life. This is super important. This is the most important thing I'm going to say tonight, I think. When you're in a place of deep sorrow and pain, the human tendency is to want answers. God almost never gives them. Almost never. But what he does give is his presence. And his presence becomes enough. So in the lament Psalms, what you see is this guy, we'll use the word disoriented. He's disoriented. And he's crying out. And his life's getting worse and worse. My finger's going down. His life's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Why, 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 why? He encounters God. And then he starts to be reoriented and praising the Lord for life. What is it that made him go? What is it that made him take the curve, take the turn? It's never an answer to the question why, ever. It's always an encounter with the true and living God, always, always. So you're in the hospital ward and someone's kid just died. Someone has just been diagnosed with cancer. Someone just lost their job. And they're like, why? Don't even bother trying to answer the question. You have no idea. Gently, in a shepherdly way, guide them back to the presence of the Lord. And if they receive that, they will be reoriented. That's the pattern of the Christian life, folks. 
we're going to wait till heaven. When we get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why. No, you won't. I'm not going to care. Why would I care? I'm going to be in the full, full manifestation of the presence of God. I'm not going to care about the question why. But you got people running around saying that. Oh, when you get to heaven, you can ask. Oh, you're not going to care. So that's lament. This is repentance. This is a repentance psalm. We're giving you the example, 51. A praise are hymns that often begin with a call to worship. They include reasons to worship God and calls to further praise God, Psalm 19, Psalm 47. Um, what else did I write down here? 92. Remembrance. Psalms don't provide a historical setting, but they frequently point to historical acts where God has brought about some redemption for his people. And so these psalms are calls to remember what God has done. Remember, remember, remember. When you remember the past, it orients you for the future, that kind of theology. And Thanksgiving, 34, 136. Some of them overlap. So 136 is a remembrance psalm and a Thanksgiving psalm. But these psalms often spring from... from um, Answers to lament where you've encountered God and they're praise psalms because they express praise to God for what he has done or for his presence. And then wisdom psalms 119 are psalms that extol the virtues that extol the virtues of living by God's precepts and commands. So they're often like proverbial in nature. Like, yeah, it's good to worship the Lord. It's good. So Psalm 1, blessed is the man who. And then you got it. That's like a wisdom psalm. You want to be blessed? You need to follow the Lord. So when you're reading the psalms, read through them several times. Um, identify the type. Really helpful. Take note of parallelisms, metaphorical expressions. Look at the title. That might help to clarify what the purpose of the psalm is try to put yourself in the place of the psalmist they're very emotional they're meant to be read and felt they're meant to be felt and finally if there's a metaphor or something like that that's confusing just cross-reference to other metaphors in the psalms or the scriptures and that'll often help to clear them up but normally the psalms can be read right out of the gates i got saved yesterday I can read the Psalms today and understand them. They're not complicated, but they do require reflection and meditation. And they're a huge blessing to our worship life. All right, thanks for coming. We're done. Have a great night. Yeah, we will, we will meet next week. That's it? That'll be our final. 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 Final